several reasons why I wanted to go back. One of them was I, I read Isaiah 40 because I wanted you to be reminded of how holy God really is. And Isaiah 40 talks about that along with who he is in light of what he can do, in light of uh, who else can do the things he does, saying those kind of things over and over again in Isaiah 40. And we had, had gotten to that point where he says to us, um, so you should be holy, be ye holy as he is holy. In other words, uh, live like he would live. Uh, and then he says, you shall be holy because I am holy. So you have both this realization that Christ has made you holy and you're safe and secure in that work of Jesus Christ. But... We ought to be moving on and living a holy life and striving to live that. Um, obviously, imperfectly, but striving to move that direction, knowing that our holiness is safe and secure in Jesus Christ. But I wanted to recognize the powerfulness of his holiness. It's way beyond what we can imagine. Um, I always felt like when my dad got upset, I, was, I knew he was upset. Uh, my dad, his cheeks would pulse. I knew when he got upset. He didn't have to say anything. I walked into his presence and I knew I was in trouble. And it was because he knew what he expected of me and I knew what he expected of me and I did not achieve what he expected of me. I fell short of his measurement. Well, in God's case, God is like perfectly holy. Everything God does is perfectly correct, right, just. Everything that he does, everything he creates, the way he created our fall into sin, everything he does is perfectly done. He leaves nothing to chance. He's holy. In my measurement of where I'm at is against his holiness. Now, if you really get that picture, you realize how far short of his holiness you really are. And it can blow you away. And it should. There should be in us a, and, and, uh, a realization of just how incredibly holy God is and how far short I come of that so that when I come to him, when we talk about what he's done, we recognize that I should have nothing to do with this at all. God should not have bothered. I am so far down the food chain. I'm so far away from his holiness. And yet... When we were in that place, sinners, his enemies, Christ died for us. To draw us into a relationship with a holy God, one in which I would be able to walk, keep in mind, the veil of the temple, and the Jews would have really understood this, the veil of the temple kept anybody out who should not be in there. And there was only one person who was allowed to go beyond that veil. And that was the high priest. And the high priest had to have everything in order. And in order to go in there, 
He had to make sure he had done all the sacrifices, had re remembered everything he needed to take care of. And even then they tied a rope around his legs so that when he walked in there, if he died, they would be able to pull him out. Because if you went in to get him, no matter how holy you thought you were, being in the presence of a dead body would have been unholy. And you would have died. So pretty soon there'd be a pile of bodies if you kept going in to get them. So they just tied a rope around to pull out. So imagine that kind of holiness. And then Christ comes and he dies and the veil's rent in two and you're free to enter into his presence based on the work of Jesus Christ. And I want you to catch that. I wanted to go back and do that to, to get you to catch that so that when you say, now that you've been born again, that's what he's talking about, that this has been a change that has allowed you into the presence of a holy God. It's part of the reason I did only a holy God again, uh, so that we would catch that idea. So the uh, review is, now that you've been born again, you've obeyed the truth, become pure, have sincere love, a deep love from the heart for those others around you who, who know the Lord. Um, you have a vested interest in the body of Christ. You have a vested interest because you're part of the body. And your part's as important as the next guy's. You have been born of imperishable seed. We were talking about that a little bit this morning. The idea of the resurrection and what that means. Well, we've been born of imperishable seed. Through Jesus Christ, we are chosen by the Father, changed by the Holy Spirit, brought by the Son into a relationship with God. Bought, not brought. Bought by the Son so that we could enter into this relationship. He gets to that point, and we've done all of that already. And he says, therefore, sometimes we don't want to look at what comes after therefore. And here he gets very insistent. Therefore, you must cast off certain things. You must. That's how it starts out in Peter. It says, therefore, rid yourselves of all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babes, babies, crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. Now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, the living stone rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in the scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, a stone that causes people to stumble, and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they are destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, 
that you may declare the praises of him who has called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. If everything goes smoothly, we'll get through all of that today. Cast off, he says. Therefore, since this word was preached to you and you've come and, and Christ brought you and the Spirit worked, you've been brought into the family of God, cast off, you must, cast off malice. Now, I decided we needed to review all these terms. Uh, you know what anger is? Any ever get angry? If you have kids, you get angry quite often. Uh, we get angry at each other. My wife and I sometimes get angry with each other. Sometimes because we didn't hear each other and we have no clue what the other one said, and so we say something back and they think you're just having a different of opinion and pretty soon it, one of you is angry. And yet, when you finally get down to it, you really didn't hear the first statement to begin with, so you were messed up from the beginning. But the bottom line is we get angry. But sometimes we get so angry about something that's happened that we keep it within ourselves. We don't let go of it, and slowly that festers until finally I start thinking of ways I might get even to take care of this anger. That's what malice is. Malice is you starting to design ways to get even for something that caused anger. That's malice. Now, if you go to the next step, that's wrath, and, and God's about the only one wrath is talked about. But if you go to the step of wrath, that means you did whatever you were thinking about doing, whatever you were planning. But malice is just getting into that stage where you've hung on to it and it's festered so long that you're thinking of ways to take care of this problem. What's that do to that relationship? Well, that relationship's impossible as long as you hang on to that stuff. And so he says, you've got you to cast that off. And, and that word cast off means to rid yourself of it. It's kind of like wearing an old coat that's so ragged and, and crappy and, and filthy that you finally just decide, okay, I've had it with this coat and I, and I throw it away. And that's really what he's saying. You need to toss it away. Get rid of it. It's old Filthy rags, get rid of the stuff. So he starts with that, malice, get rid of that. Then he goes to guile, and that means deceit. Uh, could mean like flattery that isn't necessarily true, falsehoods, uh, delusions, craftily imposing on another's life. You do it in a way that makes it seem okay. Don't know anybody that ever does that, do you? I think we hear politicians try to do that all the time. Figure out ways to tell us things so that we'll accept whatever they're telling us. I'm not picking on any particular politician, by the way. I think that, that we struggle with telling the truth. And so if we want to get something done, we'll tell you whatever you need to hear to get it done or to make it feel better, so on. And sometimes just saying things for the sake of it isn't helpful hypocrisies, and, and here it really is in the plural. It has to do with uh, uh, counterfeits, like counterfeit 
godliness or counterfeit friendship. You know, things practiced by high compliments that you really don't believe or promises that you were never going to keep in the first place. That's hypocrisy. If we, if we make promises to people and don't keep them or we're in friendships and we tell them things, nobody's ever done that. I often use husbands and wives for the example, um, but maybe I shouldn't do that today. Uh, but, you know, you can give a compliment to somebody that you have a friendship with, supposedly, and your compliment could be a lie. Uh, that means that you're just trying to, to pad that relationship. You're trying to make them think maybe they like, that you like them. And that's hypocritical. Not really telling them the truth. You're not really a good friend at that point. You're just trying to keep this relationship and keep them thinking that you are. So you got to get rid of hypocrisies. That's promising that we'll do things and not do them would be another way of being a hypocrite. Uh, envies. Uh, envies is really, and I like the definition, a grieving at the good and welfare of another. In other words, you grieve because it's not yours. You see somebody else and they're doing really well and maybe they're doing better than you and they have things you don't have and you grieve over not having them yourself. That's envy. When we grieve about what others have, we aren't rejoicing with them, we grieve over what they have. It might be abilities, could be properties, Maybe fame or just success. Any of those things. Evil speaking. Speaking against another. Defaming them. In other scripture, it's even called uh, uh, backbiting. And that's in uh, 1 Corinthians 12 and Romans 1. There's, that term's translated backbiting. It's, it's talking about things that we'd be saying uh, defaming the other person in talking about them. One of the best things a husband and wife can do is don't talk about your husband and wife to anybody else, especially bad things. You can say all the good things you want. Probably shouldn't say any of the bad things. And uh, so there's a place there where you, you've got to be careful. But at our best, we need reminded to cast off sin. You know, it's interesting when you think about it. We've come to know the Lord. We know how holy God is. We desire to grow, and yet we need constant reminders not to sin, don't we? We need to be reminded, because it only takes a little bit, and we've sinned again. So we need reminders. Here's a reminder from Peter. Cast these things off. If you're going to have relationships with one another, you can't have these as part of your relationships. So cast them off. Now, if I get rid of something, I probably have to put something on, don't you think? Replace it with something else? Because just getting rid of bad behavior doesn't seem to be successful, does it? If you don't replace it with something else, pretty soon you go back to the same behavior all over again. And so here he says, instead, Yod as newborn babes, one, desire, crave pure spiritual milk. Um, 
I, I made a, I'll read this because it's easier for me to read it than to say it. Do you not think that even the eldest and most studied of Christians need reminded to be feeding on God's word? It doesn't matter how long we've known the Lord. It doesn't matter how much study we've done. It doesn't matter how much school we've gone through. We need reminded to be feeding on the word of God. Now here he says the sincere milk. Another place says uh, uh, Paul talks about uh, being like babes and, and you're still taking milk. You should be on strong food. And I think as we grow, that's the intention of the scripture. But here, the intention of this is just to remind us that we need to be studying the word of God. We need to be involved in it. We need to be feeding. Or we'll find it difficult to keep from sinning. We'll find it difficult to live that life. Why should we do this? Why should we crave that we might grow in our salvation, in our sanctification, that we might become more like Christ? Now that you have by faith tasted that the Lord is good, that's the reason. Now that you've come into that relationship, you've enjoyed the realization of how much he loves you and what he's done for you, and you're in that relationship and enjoy it, then even more so I need to work at this. To be in the word, to be growing, to be becoming more like Christ. It says, as you come to him, the living stone rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him. The living stone, now, in, this, in the uh, Jewish, the Jews would have understood this differently maybe than we would understand it. He's going to build the body here, but the Jews would have understood the stones. The need for a cornerstone, the, the temple, the ability to go in and out of that temple and what it must be like and how it must be built and, and all the other stones that are built around it. If you've ever built a building with stone, there is one stone that's crucial. That's called the cornerstone. And everything's built from that cornerstone on. And here it says that Christ was the cornerstone. As you've come to him, the living cornerstone that was rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him. That's Jesus Christ. Because of Christ's work, you're being built into a spiritual house. He's the cornerstone, rejected by men, chosen by God and precious to him. You are living stones. He's the living stone, and you are living stones, little stones. Because of Christ's work, and you're being built into a spiritual house, a holy priesthood. What are you built like that for? You're all part of the stones. They would have built the building to worship in. Christ is building a temple of people. You're all part of the stones. 
that build the building. All of you are part of those living stones. You see our picture a little differently. We don't need the building. We are the building. We are the church. This is the building that we worship in. We are the church, and you're the living stones. You're being built into a spiritual house, a holy priesthood. It makes you part of that. You're free to enter into the presence of God, so you're part of the priesthood of God. And we can offer up spiritual sacrifices, and that's what he says. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Spiritual sacrifices. We give our lives, give our goods, give our service. These are acceptable to God because of Jesus Christ. We give all that we have because whose is it to begin with? We understand that it's all his. He created us. He designed us. He put us into this church. He made us his children. And we can, as a priesthood, freely give ourselves and all that we are and all that we have to him. He refers back to a passage in the Old Testament. See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, the stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, and we'll go there in a minute, it's a precious cornerstone. We will never be ashamed. Believers, as stones in this building, were precious. And he is precious to us. Because you believe, because you become part of his family, Christ takes on a preciousness, a specialness that we appreciate and we love him because he first loved us. We grow in that love as we grow in understanding his word. We grow in that love as he works in us to become part of this holy priesthood. Now, this would have been difficult for the priests of the Old Testament to hear, that we would all be involved in that priesthood now. And yet they would understand it as the stones that built the building. We get to enjoy that relationship with him. And as a result, because of his work through, through the Spirit, through God the Father and the Word of God, through the Son who bought us with a price, we have this unique relationship. But there are those who reject totally that concept. And that's what he says next. The, but to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. And he explains that. He says, the rejected stone, which became the cornerstone of a new spiritual house, 
the rejected stone, Jesus Christ, of a new spiritual house, a stone that causes stumbling, a rock that makes them fall. Who is he like that to? And it says that those, they that stumble, they stumble because they disobeyed the message. They refused to hear the message. I had a good friend whose father just would not hear the message. He tried and tried and tried until the day that his father went home, went, died. Didn't go home to glory because he never came to know Christ as far as we know. But he tried. And it was a great burden on him that his father would not come. And there came a place there where he realized that his father would not obey the truth. He had the opportunity. It wasn't that the opportunity wasn't there. It's that he refused the opportunity. He refused to believe. And so there's a group of people, a large group, that refused to entertain the truth. And so it becomes a stumbling block. They can't get past it. It's the rock that makes them fall because Jesus Christ paid the price and they just can't accept it. He goes on now and says, but you are, and gives you a list of things. The first one, a chosen people. You are a chosen people. First Peter 1 talks about the fact that you were chosen uh, in, in Ephesians 1, 4, before the foundation of the earth and by the foreknowledge of God. Chosen. Way back there. To be his children. You weren't even a twinkle in anybody's eye. Before the earth was designed. And yet he already had you in his sights. As one chosen. You're chosen people. Picked out to become the church of God. The living stones that would build a church that others would see and hear about, a people together that would affect the world. Your royal priesthood set apart to offer to God spiritual sacrifices. He says that here, a royal priesthood. Look what's happening. God's taking the Jews and us and putting us together in one big family if we know Christ. And we become the stones that build the building. But we have to actively be involved. This is who you are. It doesn't mean that this is what we do. I can be a part of a family. It doesn't necessarily mean that my family enjoys my presence. Or that I enjoy theirs. Or I take an active part. But if I want to be part of that family, I need to take an active part in it. It requires that. You have come to know Christ. You're an active part of this church. You're a holy nation. Now see, we're, we're a holy nation that's unique, peculiar in the sense that all of our members are worldwide. We're a large group of people within a world. 
And from God's perspective, it's like a holy nation. We're set apart to God. We have an opportunity to affect the world. What was the nation of Israel's major responsibility? Anybody? What was their number one responsibility? To, to make known to the world God. Their God. To make known to the world their God. They were to be the light that would draw them to their God. And here you're that holy nation, God's special possession. And another word for that is peculiar or unique. Depends on which one you want to choose. I like peculiar myself. You know, people always thought I was a little crazy. And I said it was really good that they always thought I was a little crazy because when I did crazy things, somebody else just says, oh, that's just Tom. I didn't even have to excuse myself. They just excused me by saying, that's just Tom. He's unique. He's peculiar. He's, he's special. You're all special, unique, peculiar. You don't think you're peculiar to the rest of the world? You come to church on Sunday. That's kind of peculiar. You love one another because Christ has loved you. You have a love for Jesus Christ who died for you, shed his blood and rose again. You look forward to being in heaven. You're kind of a peculiar group of people. You're unique. You're special possession of God. And your purpose just like Israel's purpose, yours is to declare the praise of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous, amazing, wonderful light. Without Jesus Christ, we wouldn't know the incredibleness of that relationship. We wouldn't be part of that light. We were brought into light. When the sun sets you free, you're free for, for real. And you are now the light unto the world. You're called to be that light. That you might declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So like Israel, only a much bigger body, we are the light unto the world. And you are one of those lights. Altogether, we make one huge light reflecting the amazing light of our God. Once, he says, you were not a people, but now you are. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have. The intent of that is to really emphasize the change. Once, None of you were part of the people of God. Me either. You had no understanding of the mercy of God. And you were not part of it. But now you are. Now you are one of the people of God. 
you're part of that group. And here, here in Ripley, you're part of this group of light givers. And the way we love each other, the way we work together, the way our stone fits into this building affects how we love each other and how we affect our community and those around us and those we come in contact with. If we're not part of this, if we're not actively taking part in being stones in this building, sounds like if I'm a stone, I don't move much. But he's really talking about, from a spiritual standpoint, about the building blocks of this church. You are those people built on your relationship with Jesus Christ. And our love one for another and the way that we care for one another, the way that we're involved in this building is what makes us a light unto the rest of the community. And that's happening all around the world. You weren't a people once, but you are. There was a time you did not know the mercy of God, but you do now. What amazing mercy that he would send God the Son to die for you, to die for me. That he would send God the Son to shed his blood, that you would be clean so that he could have a relationship with you, so that you would take on the righteousness of Christ, so that you could enter into the Holy of Holies. What kind of a relationship that a God would choose you before the foundation of the earth to include you in the building of this building? If you grab all those things, how unique a relationship we have together to be the building of God. As I thought about this and all the other things I, I preached, I thought it was an, a proper ending to bring us to the point where you, I would say, consider yourself. You're one of the stones. You're one of the building blocks of this church. Doesn't matter what part of this church you think your building block is. It's that you are part of this. And the church is designed to have you involved. As we finish today, I want you to consider... You're part of this unique building. You're a unique possession of God. To the rest of the world, it does look crazy. But it isn't crazy. It's the most sane thing you'll ever do in your life to give yourselves over to be part of that royal priesthood, to be a loving part of this family. So consider that as you leave today. To me, what he's challenging us with is he's urging you to stand out by being an active, loving part of this community, this group of believers.
Let's pray. Gracious Father, you are an amazing God, and you gave us the opportunity, having chosen us, having worked in us through your Spirit, having bought us with a price through Jesus Christ, you brought us into relationship with you. Lord, work in our lives that we might truly desire to be part of this church, building blocks, those who would strive to give of themselves to be a light unto this community and to others. Father, help us truly to be involved, to know what's going on, to know each other, to be aware of the things you desire us to do, even as building blocks of this church. We desire, Lord, to praise you, and we know this would bring great glory to you. Thank you for your word in Christ's name. Amen. I believe we turn to 288. In 288, we can remain seated while we sing this. I won't make you stand up till it's time to leave. 288. I would be like Jesus. Earthly pleasures vainly call me, I would be like Jesus. Nothing worldly shall enthrall me, I would be like Jesus. Be like Jesus, this my song, in the home and in the throng. Be like Jesus all day long. I would be like Jesus. He has broken every fetter. I would be like Jesus. That my soul may serve him better. I would be like Jesus. Be like Jesus, this my song. In the home and in the throng. Be like Jesus all day long. I would be like Jesus. All the way from earth to glory, I would be like Jesus. Telling o'er and o'er the story, I would be like Jesus. Hey, like Jesus, this my song in the home and in the throng. Be like Jesus all day long. I would be like Jesus. That in heaven he may meet me would be like Jesus. That his words well done may greet me. I would be like Jesus. 
Be like Jesus, this my song, in the home and in the throng. Be like Jesus all day long. I would be like Jesus. Gracious Father, thank you for your word. Teach us, help us to be challenged by it. Might we truly, Lord, avoid sin, uh, cast it off, become more like your son, Jesus Christ. First, by removing those things which be an obstacle, and then by feeding off your word and growing closer to you and becoming more like your son. Thank you for this time to be in your word. Challenge us as we leave, and we'll praise you in Christ's name. Amen. You are dismissed.